Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is my friend and fellow running coach, Nick Klistava, who I have recently dubbed one of the wisest runners that I know, and I stand by that statement. Um, Nick and I have really great conversations that none of you get to see, because we do them one-on-one, about running and running and life and running and how when coaching and all of these things and kind of the broader, more philosophical, more existential questions about what is success and how do you measure success and how is your relationship with the sport the healthiest healthiest it can be and we're bringing that conversation online for you today to talk specifically in the context of how the numbers aren't as important as you think that they are and in a sport where you can quantify almost anything that there's a metric for and they're inventing new things to measure all the time on your fancy wearables. Got to keep jacking that price up somehow, right? What should you pay attention to? What is actually not as important as you think it is? And is your relationship with the numbers and the way that you are quantifying your running is it healthy or productive for your relationship with the sport? And is it actually helping you progress towards your goals or maybe not? Nick, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me again. So you were a guest last season on one of the most popular episodes that I've done when one of the most popular topics that I talk about in general, which is an episode on base building. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, you should definitely go back and listen to it. But Nick, um, just briefly reintroduce yourself for people who may not know you and just tell us a bit about who you are. Yeah. Hi, I'm Nick Lestava. I'm a runner of 25, 28 years, ran in high school, ran in college, took a long break, came back to running and you know, have always loved this thing, loved the community of running, but, you know, approached it much differently from a collegiate runner to a, you know, now 30, 40 year old runner and just the way I look at running. And I'm a running coach for Lift, Run, Perform. I'm an elite athlete with Rabbit and just love running, racing and, you know, having fun. And so for those of you who are about, we're going to dive into some um, more existential kind of philosophical questions about the sport of running today. And I think coming from somebody of Nick's background, when we talk about how the numbers don't define you, Nick really means it. And so do I. And that is the theme of our topic today. And this is going to be a bit more of a free flowing conversation. I'm not going to like rapid fire <laughs> answer Nick, but talking about, you know, his experience, my experience, and talking about the way that we've we've seen ourselves individually grow and the way we've seen the athletes we've worked with grow in this sport. But let me ask you, um, Nick, because you have some really strong um, thoughts about this, about the relationship that runners can have with the numbers and how they define success and what it means to them. And what do you mean when you when you say something like that about the numbers and the relationship a runner has with how they define success? Yeah, I think one of the things I hear a lot is, you know, it just 
this, we are type A people, we run this sport, it's a sport driven by numbers, how many miles a week are you running, how fast was your workout, how fast your easy runs, like pace, 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 numbers, 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 right? And I think that help leads us to compare, it leads us to compare to our older versions of ourselves, our friends, our community, you know, and just define our success and even our current fitness based on random numbers we had on one random day in some street on in our you know neighborhood and i think there's so much more to this sport right i mean it numbers just are one piece of it but when taken at this level that we do they can crush us right how often have we had a great training block and had a workout and missed some numbers and all of a sudden we're doubting all our fitness and you know it's during the taper or it's right before the taper and all of a sudden we're spiraling and everything gets much harder after that spiral, right? Now the next workout, we're struggling again because we're losing confidence because some numbers told us we weren't, you know, didn't define us in the right way. And, you know, what happened? Did we lose all our fitness? No, we, we started losing confidence because we let the numbers define us. When people say, you know, enjoy the process, and it's not to say like numbers don't matter. It's to say, focus on that, focus on your journey, which is every training block is different. Every workout is different. The stress of our life every day is different. Focus on the process of each block each day and how you do your best and use that as your success criteria. And you will do better. You will perform better and the numbers will show up. I think a lot of runners when they're, when they got, you know, they have the initial relationship with the numbers and running is a sport where you can quantify a lot. Like you said, I can tell you exactly how many miles down to the point zero something miles that I ran week to week, day to day, how much time I spent, where my heart rate was in each zone and my pace and all these things. And I think when, when runners come to the sport and they realize that you can quantify so much of it, they sometimes double down and look for the, well, I just need to learn how to quantify my recovery or quantify my pickup basketball game and how it fits into the grand scheme of my training. And I've actually had runners ask me that they're like, how do I calculate the training load of, you know, playing soccer with my friends in a pickup game? And I'm like, first of all, you can't. And second of all, you shouldn't, right? There are some (laughs) things that doubling down on creating metrics for, although it sounds sexy, which is say something's data-driven, it's not always the solution that we're aiming for. Yeah, and you know, to that point, a lot of runners start running with no idea what they're doing. It's it's their stress release. It's something they they, they want to lose weight. They want to have fun. They met a friend who runs, and they don't they don't know any of these numbers, right? They're just like, oh, I'm just gonna run. And you know what you do? You have success early on. Usually, you run some PRs. You, you find this relationship running, and then at some point, runners are like, okay, well now I'm all in you know, that phrase I hate. And, you know, now I'm going to double my mileage and I'm going to focus on this being the most important thing in my life, right? Like strength train and do all these things. And all these things are important. But when we take that all in, like this is it approach, sometimes we go too far in our direction and we end up burning out mentally, right? Like we end up causing too much of this metrics, too much of these numbers to now have this thing we love. We now start to hate, right? Like we lose that relationship of why we started running to now this all in of like, I am goal driven, results get driven. Um, and, you know, but why did I start running? Oh, well, you know, I liked to hang out with my friends and now I don't run with them anymore because I'm after my goals. And, you know, it's just a kind of an idea to everyone, but like sometimes that all in relationship, that approach on these numbers is what drives us to 
feel like we're not connected to the thing that we once were in that way. What do you feel like is a metric that one of the least important metrics that runners tend to pay attention to? Uh, um, 1A and 1B is mileage, miles per week and, you know, pace on easy days. Like, you know, and we- That sounds all the same, but that sounds crazy though. Like we're both running coaches. And for somebody listening to this episode, they're saying, these two coaches are literally telling me that pace and volume don't matter. And kind of, maybe not in the way that you expect, but go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, those are parts of running, right? So miles per week are, are a part of your fitness, right? There, there's scientific things that you've posted many times about on miles and how they add to, you know, the breakdown, the breakdown and forming of your muscles and the, you know, how well you can perform, but it's the metric people immediately look to, to say, okay, it's time to get serious. I have to up my mileage. Well, does your life allow for that? Like that, no one asked that question. It's like, they have a stressful life. Their friend runs 80, they run 40. Now they want to run 80 because their friend's a little faster. Well, that's not how it works, right? Like your, or, or when they were younger, they ran 80 and now in a different state, you know, of their life, they want to do that again, to be as fit as they were again. We don't compare apples to oranges. Those are two different things. So when I say mileage is a metric I care the least about is because people look at it as that is the solving of how to get faster because someone faster than me runs more miles than me. And that is the easiest thing to look at. We're always, we're American, we're, you know, we're people, we're driven, we're human beings. We look at what is something easy to get to our goal. Well, just run more miles. I can do that. And pace, same thing. Like, I don't. Re- the only thing I look at when people run easy runs are they running them too fast? Because there is no too slow. You can be running your marathon pace on your easy day and saying it's recovery because it feels easy for thirty minutes. Maybe it does because it's you know one third, one tenth of your race, but doesn't mean it's not actually being hard effort. The thing that really got me with the the volume. And just like the mileage in general, and you know, the, the more time I spend as a, as a runner and like, as a, as a coach in this sport, I mean, my relationship with the numbers is so it gotten so much healthier. Cause I used to be a live and die by the numbers kind of person because it was, it was easier for me, especially coming to the, um, sport as an adult, I wasn't quite sure I wanted to figure out what was going on with my effort and emotions and getting in tune with my body was almost scarier than just letting the numbers tell me what to do instead. And I remember, you know, very early on being terrified of running without headphones because I was terrified of spending that much time alone in my own head without something to distract me, especially on the hard efforts, right? Like, what am I going to think about when it gets hard? I better not think about it at all. Just pop in, you know, my headphones and go for a run. And I remember very, very vividly there was one run I was doing where it was a tempo run and for a race that I was training for and my headphones had died. Like I'd forgotten to charge them or they weren't plugged in and I didn't have time. Like I couldn't reschedule the run. I had to get it done. And I went for this run instead. And it was this first run where I realized, oh my God, like I've kind of been missing out on First of all, what's going on in between my ears is not as scary as I thought that it was, but I've kind of been missing out by intentionally trying to tune out how I felt and only paying attention to the pace or the distance that I was neglecting how I felt, which the more time I spend as a runner and as a coach, how you feel is the most important thing of all. 
Yeah, effort, 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 right? And then, you know, effort is between you and you, right? So that is something that coaches can't coach, right? We can tell you, I, I tell an athlete how something should feel. A good example is if I give them a threshold workout, I say, can make sure you keep this up for an hour, right? If you're running and you're 10 minutes into this tempo and you feel like you're dying, slow down. Even if it's the if the pace says you should be running this and you're not, and there's some environmental constraint or just you're having an off day, slow down. If you can't keep up for an hour, you're moving into the wrong zone, right? So effort is easy to help people. I try and give them a idea of this is how, like a 5K, you have an idea of how long it takes you to run a 5K. Can you keep this up for that time? So, you know, for me, effort, effort is what I drive all my runs on, right? I don't, my easy runs, I don't look at my watch. I don't know what pace I'm running. I just, if I feel tired, I slow down. Some days it's eight, some days it's eight thirties. It's, it's perfectly fine, right? You know, I run a marathon two and a half, three minutes faster than that, but it doesn't matter. Um, you know, for my workouts, I don't even, I think I may have said this last time, I don't split my workouts. I get something like 10, my two minutes on, two minutes off. And at my watch beeps two minutes, I run two minutes hard. And then I run two minutes easy and I don't hit the lap button on my watch. I don't know what pace I was running for those two minutes, but when I finished the workout, I know I gave it my best, right? If the effort was 5k, that's what I'm running, right? doesn't matter if that day it's X time or it's X time plus. That was the effort I could give. And I get out of my head by worrying about whether I'm on pace because when you feel like you're not on pace, all of a sudden everything gets harder. I'm working so hard and I'm not running the right number now I feel tired, right? That's how we always look at things. I shouldn't be this tired this early. I, and my workout's going to shit. Excuse my language. <laughs> um, so that's where effort is, like this thing that you have to tone into because ultimately you're gonna run a race and you're gonna have to run by your effort in that race. You, you're not, you should stare at your watch for 26 miles and look at every mile split. You have to know the effort you're giving out. So you're not going too fast, you're not doing too slow. And so you're familiar with what the workouts went. That's where you're tuning in on your workouts and you're bringing that with you on race day. Something I've been doing recently, just like I'll tell my brain, just like shut up and run. Don't overanalyze it, don't, over, don't overthink it. And if you are over relying on numbers, you are probably shortchanging yourself because you might be able to run way faster than you think you can. Yeah, I agree. You know, a great example of that is sometimes I've had athletes and I know they've been getting in the numbers, they've been getting late in the training block and they've been worrying where they can hit the paces, even though they had been like, you're just hitting this block in this training. And I always, yeah, everyone gets there at some point. And, you know, I've encouraged them. Okay. Next workout, like run the first split, look at your watch. If you don't like what it says, don't look at the rest of the run. Like don't split the workout. Don't look at it. Let your watch just beep when it wants and then finish. And then they would go finish and they'd tell me, Oh, you know, the first one felt too hard. And then I ran the next seven and I hit them all perfectly and I felt fine. Or like I've encouraged athletes to like, you can't even look at your splits to send me a message after you run and tell me how it felt. And they'd be like, oh, you know, I felt like I worked hard, but I think I did a good job. And then they look at the splits like, oh my God, I hit everything perfectly. And I felt like that, that's incredible. Like when you remove barriers, mental barriers from things, things get a lot easier, right? You know, when we remove this unnecessary pressure we put on ourselves because we are on our own harshest critics, everything becomes a little easier, right? And as a coach, I feel like that's my number one job, right? It's not to give you the perfect training plan because it doesn't exist, right? The perfect training plan I write down changes the second I write it because you send me a message and says, oh, you know, this thing happened in my life. Can I move this run? Can I move this run? So there's no perfect training plan, right? It adapts with you the moment it's sent. But 
you know, what can I help you do in your training? Well, I can help you stay confident in yourself because that's what matters. How often have you gone through a training block and then all of a sudden felt unconfident in yourself halfway through, even though you've been, you hit 15 workouts correctly, it's race week and the last workout doesn't go well. I can't do this. Well, how'd you get there? You know, how, where was your confidence? Like, you know, so working through confidence to help runners understand that like, no, A, coach is not going to be mad if you don't get splits. Like, please don't put that pressure on yourself. That's not why we're here. We, we don't care. I want to know how it went, and I'll ask you how you felt. And if it's really bad, we might dive into, or I might already know what's going on in your life and be like, hey, well, that thing that's happening, that's stress, right? So running obviously feels hard. But, you know, how do I help runner? How do we help runners be confident? Well, you have to get to know them, right? Like, if you don't know your runners, you can't help them. If you think giving someone a trial by fire training plan, maybe the runner survives, right? And they run a PR, but you run, you mess with fire long enough, you get burned, right? So those training plans you get that like you feel like you're dying and you're cursing out your coach every week because they're more, you know, more and more mile repeats and you're like barely alive. Yeah, you might survive that. You might also get hurt. You might also burn out. But does your coach know what's going on in your life this week? Like, are they asking? Because if you have a stressful week and you have a stressful training plan, those are going to butt heads. So as a coach, you need to know what's going on with runners and help them adapt. I, I tell my athletes, I know, I, I know what's going on in most of my athletes' life. I can't fix their problems. I can barely fix my own, but I can help them navigate training around it. I think a lot of people, when they're, when they're looking at the numbers and they're trying to analyze the tea leaves and what does it all mean and what does it mean that I ran this they want to, they're looking for certainty. They're looking for the sign that everything's like that their race day is going to happen. That like, ah, if I just figure out what the code is, I will know for sure what's going to happen on race day. And that certainty never exists. It doesn't exist. There is absolutely nothing in your training that will guarantee what's going to happen on race day, especially if you don't believe in yourself. But like, so if you're looking for the one workout or it's, I wanted to, if you want to talk to somebody about this a while, um, like something like Yasso 800s, it's Yasso 800s are when you do um, 10 by 800 and the, with well a little bit of rest in between or, you know, active, active recovery. And the whole point about Yasso 800s is that your uh, 800 split average is supposed to predict your marathon finish time. So if you run your Yasso's 10 by 800 and your 800s are three minutes a piece, boom, you're going to run a three hour marathon. That's not a thing. Like that workout is predictive of you being fit, not predictive of your marathon time. There is nothing in your training that will guarantee your race day result. Nothing, nada, not a thing. And so, so often runners say, oh, I had, you know, that workout here, we had this big workout. I needed this. I needed those numbers to prove what I was at. You know, you don't need to prove anything, right? Like, you know, you workouts are about gaining fitness. They're about, about proving fitness. You know, this proof, this, this, that confidence you can have in yourself always. If you give your best effort in every workout, you're improving and you're getting better. There's no, there's predictor workouts, but some of them are incredibly long. And while they may feel like you've done 60, 70% of the race at that effort, um, you know, there's risk to them on how you recover, but also it still doesn't guarantee you can do that race day, right? And I think too often runners leave their race in training 
because they're worried about being peak fitness all the time. You had a post about this the other day, you know, want to always be ready to PR. Well, that, that can't happen at all. You know, you could run a PR during training when you're not peaking, that's great, but that's not what we're doing. And so having these peak workouts, maybe they push you too far and all of a sudden you're now peaking at the wrong time, right? But nothing proves anything. That's not what we're trying to do in training. We're trying to keep, you know, building the blocks, trying to keep gaining fitness, moving forward. Every workout, you're getting closer and closer to your goals, right? And, you know, it's, if you can look out at a bigger picture too, like think how far you can improve in three years versus this three month block ahead of you. And then look at every workout as just gaining closer and closer. How high can you fly in three years? The, the, who knows, right? It's so high, so much higher than three months. So if you can look at that and go, hey, this workout test was great. And, you know, three years from now, I want to run this time and I'm getting closer and closer each day. Um, I think sometimes those big goals, you know, I think it's great to dream big within reason, right? And, and just set it and forget it, right? Dream big and then just do workouts. But yeah, to your point, there isn't anything that can, that there's nothing that can prove what you can do. Your VDOT score doesn't prove that you can run that, you know, your, your training peak score, whatever you're using doesn't prove it. It's just, these are the paces training at towards the goals you want. Um, and if you're in perfect stress levels each day and you, you drank enough water and fueled your long runs, maybe you'll hit all those paces. Um, but it still doesn't prove you can do it on a race day. The proof comes from your belief in yourself, right? That's in those moments when you're at mile 20 of a marathon, you're like, I'm on pace. Can I do this? And then you, your confidence wanes. It, you're probably not going to run pace anymore. Do you have a big head? And I don't mean figuratively, I mean literally. Do you have a large head circumference? Do you find it impossible to shop for sunglasses because it feels like you're just cramming a tiny pair of sunglasses on your huge brainiac noggin? Well, what if you have a tiny head? Like, do you do you have to wear child sunglasses sometimes because your head is on the smaller side? Doesn't mean anything about your brain power. I'm just saying some of us have small heads. You need Gooder sunglasses and they have not just the middle size, they have sunglasses made specifically for the smaller heads among us and the bigger heads among us. So everybody has the perfect pair for them. Whether you're wearing the BFGs, which have wider frames, longer arms, and bigger lenses, or the LFGs, which are, you know, the smaller version, you can now save 15% off on gooder.com on your next pair, big or small, using code RUNEXP. That's code R-U-N EXP in all caps on gooder.com. Save 15% on your next order on your favorite polarized, no slip, no bounced, any sized sunglasses for small, medium, or large heads. So you can look good and run gooder. It's also, I think it's all knowing life as it happens, it's unrealistic to expect to get better continuously without any interruptions planned or unplanned especially you know at the beginning of your journey kind of everything that you do within a year you're like way faster than you used to be and it seems like you're on this like skyward trajectory all i have to do is just keep putting in the work and i'm get faster and faster and faster and faster and faster but then life happens it's unrealistic for most people to expect to 
continually gain fitness cycle over cycle over cycle for years and years at a time. Like, yes, ideally that would be great, but in practice, that's, that's not going to happen for almost anybody for a million reasons. And so, you know, over relying on what your paces are and what your finish times are, you're going to be really unhappy because <laughs> you're going to have so much self-worth tied up in what those numbers mean. And you have to go through ebbs and flows in your fitness normally. And how you deal with that is more important than where you started and where you end up. Yeah. And, you know, I think there was research recently, it's, I read somewhere it talked about like injuries, right? Like everyone's going to get injured, right? What, whether it's a major injury or not, you don't know, right? But every, like something along the lines of every year, it's like 10% more likely to get injured. And that eventually means like you will get injured, right? And, you know, I, there, there's always a great commercial and I, I don't know if, I think it was ASICS, but it was like this Iron Man athlete, he's running down this road and there's all these brick walls in front of him and he runs up to the brick wall and he bashes through it, right? And then he runs up to the next wall and he bashes through it. Um, you know, but that idea to me always stems out of like, we all have these brick walls in our training, right? Sometimes it takes us to work twice, three times as hard to get past a barrier. It doesn't have to be a round number. It could be any number, 311, 24. That could be someone's barrier they have for 10 years, right? But it takes more work to get through it than everything else prior. And then when they bust through it, all of a sudden PRs start coming. And they start getting a little faster because of all that fitness they took because of ebbs and flows. Right. But it's easy to lose track and, and, you know, feel like you're not progressing. So we're not moving forward. Your workouts are probably getting faster, but your races aren't. So now you're doubting yourself and you're losing all your confidence because you're driven on the results. Right. And you're driven on the numbers. And if these barriers do exist and we have to acknowledge in those moments, okay, Maybe I need to train differently. Maybe I need to look at things differently. Maybe I need to remove some of these barriers. I got tons faster than I was in college when I started removing all these barriers. I stopped running on the track because I'd lived my life a quarter mile at a time and I knew every single split. I could run hundred meters and I'm figuring out my mile pace and I'm through 250 meters and I'm figuring it out. And like, this is exhausting. And I know I'm off pace 75 meters into this run and I'm devastated. So I got off the track and I ran the roads and it meant hills and other things and my pace has changed. But I got faster and faster because I was removing things. I was training differently. I was approaching running differently. Sometimes it means switching it up to get to these ebbs and flows and just removing the thing that is causing you the most stress, whether it is some barrier or whatever it is. For the longest time, and for the longest time, it felt like the longest time, it was probably like 18 months. I called eight minute pace, my white whale pace. Like I could not for the life of me run over, you know, eight minutes or, you know, pace or faster in a race. And it started out where that was my 5k white whale pace. And then it was my half marathon white whale pace. And then it was my marathon white whale pace. And then I had to look back and think, oh my God, like this is a pace you couldn't even run a 5k at. And I was still having that same, like, Elizabeth, why can't, like, why is this so hard for you? not recognizing all of the absolute massive progress I had made. All I was focused on was what I couldn't do rather than saying like, girl, you turned your 5k pace into your marathon pace. Like that's amazing. Why? And if I'd had a coach at the time, I'm sure they would have shaken my shoulders and been like, we are focusing on the wrong thing. Um, but all I was focused on was that I couldn't run this highly specific pace at this highly specific distance completely ignoring all of the work and consistently and prog consistency and progress that I'd made along the way. It's so easy to forget 
how far we've come until we look back and realize it, right? I'm sure that as you were going through your transition from the track to the roads, you know, maybe it took a little while to realize, wow, like I have made huge progress almost without even realizing it and, you know, kind of forgetting to, to celebrate it along the way. Yeah, I think um, that is super important. I think, you know, celebrating the progress we've made, right? You know, it, it happens a lot of times with injuries, like you come back from an injury and you, you know where you were and all of a sudden every, you know, you feel like you're so far away and never going to get back there. And you, like every run is like a tiny little victory, but you're not really celebrating it because you feel so far away. And then the next thing you know, you're fit, fitter, you're feeling good. And now you're worrying about whether your paces are right and how you're going to get back to your PR. Never once did you celebrate, hey, you know, two months ago, I barely could run four miles at any pace. And now I'm back to my race pace. Where did we celebrate? You know, it happens all the time in training blocks. People wait until the race result to celebrate the training block. Why? Why can't we just celebrate it before? Why can't we get to race week and be like, I want to celebrate what I did the last 15 weeks. I navigated stress and problems and something happened, obviously. And we went through this thing and these workouts were tough and I got here, right? I am so proud of myself. The, say that before your next race. Be proud of your race. Don't wait until a clock tells you to be proud because it will never be good enough. The second we run some PR, we're going to go to our coach or to our friends and say, I can run faster and we're going to lose sight of that moment and we're not we're not going to truly celebrate it so you know celebrate how far you've come take stops in your training when things get hard look back and go yes this pace was hard today but a year ago i couldn't run one mile at this pace and now i'm running trying to do eight or five or whatever you know that's incredible but you know we're our own we're so hard on ourselves we're so biased to always be driven towards getting faster you know, again, that's where coaches step in and help people in those moments, not to be like, oh, well, you had a tough workout today, you know, but also, hey, you did have a tough workout today, but look how far you've come. Like, remind people of those things because it really helps level set them in the moments when they're feeling like they're not doing enough. I see a lot too in training, especially when we're building up to something really big, like marathon or half marathon that requires, you know, high volume, long, long runs. And a runner will say to me, aren't you concerned that I'm not getting faster on my runs? And I will say, no, why would you think that? And they say, well, because I'm, I'm running more now and I'm not getting any faster in this training cycle. And I say to them, but you're running a lot more than you were, right? That is the win. You know, I care so much less about what pace your long runs are and that you are comfortable going the distance that you can run 10 miles or 16 miles or 20 miles, right? And that you feel good doing it. The the win is the volume. The win is that you're, you feel good in your training, that you can execute those long runs, that you can do your workouts. I care not at all whatever your easy effort pace is and whether it's gotten faster or not. Yeah, you know, easy, what I said earlier, why that is the least, one of the least things I care about. I, I've gotten 47 minutes faster in the marathon and my easy pace has gotten a minute, a minute and a half slower. Um, you know, I, when I started, I was, I had the collegiate experience still in me of just running hard all the time. You know, a 20 year old recovers crazy faster than my 40 year old like I am now. But, you know, I was just running too fast all the time and, you know, it made workouts work sometimes and some blow up. And as I got faster, I got slower on easy pace. My workouts were fine. Those got faster, but they didn't always. Again, I ran a 5K PR at 38 that I set when I was 20. 
I could not run as fast on a track at 38 as I could, or on the roads or anywhere, as I could as a 20-year-old. But I could run a 5K fast, a short, fast distance. Because of cum cumulative fitness gains, because of going easier on easy days, because of the work and building up over time, right? You don't need to be as fast as you once were at every distance. You don't need to be blowing workouts out of the water. You need to train where you're at. And again, settle into the belief in yourself. I had much more belief in myself at 38 than I did at 20. I, every workout, every race at 20, I was full of race anxiety, pressure, all these internal things on myself about how I couldn't do it. I would bust out early in a race, fly because I was trying to prove how fit I was, and then I'd flame out. And at 38, I said, I am fit. I can do this. And I was confident through this training block, through this running. And, you know, that's the thing. That's what drives it all. That's what helps you. That's don't, you're not getting faster because your easy runs are getting faster because they don't matter if you can perform on your workout days and your long runs. Yeah. I mean, I say to some people, cause they always want to know, especially for people who are, you know, building their endurance for the first time, and maybe they are doing a run walk or, you know, their easy effort paces are on the, on the much slower end, which is completely normal. Easy is an effort zone, not a pace does not matter how slow you go, but they always want to know when will I get faster? And I say, well, you will get faster. I don't know when, but it will happen. Um, but you're that easy stuff. That's like the caboose, right? It is like you said, entirely possible for everything else to get faster, the stuff we really care about, the stuff we really care about is the race stuff, the workout stuff, right? If we're really going to focus on any numbers, it's that. Um, and your easy pace will probably get a little bit faster, but that's not the goal. And, you know, I actually, now that you say that, I think my easy effort pace is for, I mean, I, I, they've gotten faster. I have a much bigger pace range now than I used to. Um, which is nice, like minutes per mile between like on a really good easy effort day. And like some days I'm like, this is, this is a shuffle. This is what I have today, but this is my easy effort. Um, you know, to kind of like understand that none of this really matters. That's a really huge mindset shift for a lot of people because they're so used to progress, telling them they're doing a good job rather than just believing they're doing a good job. Like, oh, my hard work is paying off. Here's the proof. I have this race result that says I got an A because I put in the work and I got the results. And that's like not going to happen every time, um, especially as you age just in general. But like there are ways to be proud of yourself and the race that you run, even if it's not an A, you know, your A goal time, right? Talking about running a race that you're proud of, even if it's not the fastest race you've ever run. Yeah. It, and it's that feedback. Where do you want feedback from? How do you accept feedback and where do you listen to it? Right. Is it, you know, again, we talked earlier, lots of people say they're results driven, they're results oriented. That's the way they operate. And then that means you're driven by your results. And that means you need your results to prove that you are getting faster, that you're doing it, that you're getting that A. And, you know, it's okay to have results be something written on our wall that we look at to motivate you, ready right? to get you out the door. But if it is all that is driving you, it will eventually crush you. Because you, like you said, you are not always getting faster. So how do you find feedback in the process, in the journey, that isn't just numbers. And, you know, if that means, you know, 
lots of my athletes talk to me about how, oh, I just, you know, I did this run and I felt great. I'm running with friends now. I wasn't able to, um, you know, I just went out today, put my headphones on and had a joyful run. I don't know what pace I ran, but I felt great. And like, those are things when I see athletes loving training and, and joyful and having fun, I, I know something big's coming, right? Because they are excited. They're proud. They're not like, oh, I didn't, you know, the, the numbers work today. So, you know, I don't know where I'm at or I'm struggling. And, you know, I think what I tell a lot of athletes is like, Hey, just ignore them, right? Like you can ignore your workout numbers. You can ignore the feedback. If it's not driving you forward, if it's not helpful to you, remove it from your life, right? We say it all the time with social media or anything, take control the information you pull in. If something isn't helpful for you, you don't have to consume it. Like, that's our choice, right? It doesn't make that, if that's a person you're friends with or someone you know, you don't have to, you're not, you're not disliking them. You're just information isn't helpful to you. Just like with running, if information isn't helpful to you, don't, don't, don't bring it in, don't consume it. Don't let it, you know, drive you in a bad direction. I did a whole episode last year on metrics going through like all the stuff that your watch will tell you that it records and that you can get extras, you know, all these different data points about dynamics and this and that and the other. I kind of went through and said, you don't need to pay attention to this. You don't need to pay attention to that. You don't need to pay attention to this. You don't need to pay attention to that. Like just because you can measure it doesn't mean you need to pay attention to it. Um, but the other thing that just reminded me of, of that episode, it's I'm like, none of this is very important. But um, the other thing that what you just said reminded me of is is social media and the comparison game. And I know that, you know, it's a way of communicating with the community at large, but when other people ingest content like that, they have a very hard time not internalizing what that other person's workout means in the context of who they are as a runner. Like, oh, that person ran this pace or this distance, therefore I, blah, 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 blah. And they, they compare themselves to that. Um, how do you help your runners sort through the noise of comparing themselves to other people? Yeah, I think the first thing, right, is to someone else's success doesn't mean anything about yours, right? So don't, don't let, you know, cause sometimes we're like, oh, well that person's success means I can't do this. Well, A, clap for that person. That's great that they did that. B, their journey is not your journey. Like, you know, don't compare what's going on. And sometimes I have to take an athlete and be like, well, you know, you're a mom of two, you, you know, work a job full time, you come home, like, you know, you have this stressor and this stressor, and, you know, maybe you can't run 80 miles a week, like so-and-so, but that you're going to, you're going to train in the confines that you have available to you. Right. And that is good enough. Right. So the secondly, it's, you know, don't, if, if things are triggering you or consuming you in the wrong direction, then remove them, right? They just don't see it. Don't listen to it. If you, we all need ways to cope in life, right? Like mental health is a huge part of being a runner, right? Every runners are talking about it more and more. We should have many years been talking about it, but it affects how we are. Lots of runners, even professionals talk about how they, you know, take breaks, don't share as much, you know, have to pull back at times because that consumes them in the wrong direction, right? Because this is where human beings, right? We have triggers and we need to accept those and move through those, right? So 
what is best for each athlete. Like that's, that's how you work through it. I don't, there's no blanket statement to be like every athlete ignore this one person because they're triggering half of us. Like, no, but how do you navigate through this? How do you see this information? How do you post about what you want and consume it and also not, you know, go down that rabbit hole of, okay, well, I did this. So this means that, right. Or that person did this and I did this. So now I'm that fit, you know? And it's also important to remember that you don't really know the, the athlete's story, you know, just because you see somebody sharing X, Y, Z in social media, like you don't know, you know, two decade long history of the sport. You don't know that maybe their mom was an Olympian or you don't know that maybe they're coming off multiple stress fractures and actually their training is going to end them up with another stress fracture. Right. So we, I think we automatically, when we see some of these, these, you know, the, the numbers that are impressive to us and go, Oh, wow, that person, blah, blah, blah. Don't assume that what you're seeing. Well, don't, you know, don't assume that what you're seeing ever applies to what you should be doing personally, but also don't assume that it's maybe necessarily the best thing for that person to be doing either. And I see this a lot too, where somebody will post something. I'm like, that's, that looks risky. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all in the training log, right? You know, we can see how something happens. Injuries are, are shown through training logs, you know, overtraining comes through training logs. Like it's all there. Right. But, you know, I think it's, it's, it's less about, looking at someone else's training and judging, you know, but also just more about like, okay, you know, this take the social media started, this running community started for us to share our journeys, right. And share our progress. And, you know, some level it's about, sometimes I feel like, okay, my PR, my PR, my PR. And that's great. That's helpful for you. But, you know, going back to the numbers, like there's so much more you can share about your running. That isn't, here's my pace today. Here's my, PR, you know, like, how are you working through things? How, like, what's going on in your life? What are you bringing? Like, did you run with some people? Like, you know, what is your story? Storytelling, right? Like that's the, I love hearing people's stories and, and then telling their journeys through running. It isn't just, okay, well, I, got, I trained harder and I ran PR. Yes, that, that, that's running at its core, but like, what's all the other stuff? Like, that's the cool stuff. Like what happened and how did you overcome it? I've also seen where some people are like embarrassed to share their own goals and dreams because they're not as impressive as somebody else's. And that really makes me sad to hear because somebody is like thinking, especially when all, you know, intake, you know, onboard new athletes in a coaching environment and they say, well, you know, I'm not fast. I mean, my goals probably aren't that impressive. And it's like, first of all, you know, talking about that self-confidence and self-belief, your goals are your goals and they should be impressive to you. And I am impressed by anybody who sets any goal with running. Cause I remember being somebody who could not run one mile continuously when they started. And the fact that you, anybody sets any goal to finish any distance in any time whatsoever, that's a goal to be celebrated. So like, just because your goals may not reach the level of, you know, trying to run an OTQ or like run a 50 mile race or run a 17 minute 5k, you should be proud of the goals that you have. Cause it's about you becoming a better runner in relation to who you are, not in relation to who anybody else is. Yeah, exactly. And I think those words matter, right? I think so, so often I catch a runner say something like, you know, I had an off day or I had a bad workout and like they hit 90% of the splits or like they said it was hundred percent humidity or they mentioned all these things. And I'm like, those words matter, what you wrote right there, because that's what you really mean. 
you know, I joked and I made a reels many months ago that like, you know, uh, I learn, I follow my athletes on Instagram and, you know, I, I see their comments and VDOT and other things. And I'm like, my athlete might write in VDOT, how had a great workout, like felt fine. Then I go on Instagram and like worst day ever. I feel like I'm lost as a runner. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like the first, these words matter. And also you wrote over here, you know, and they're like, well, now I have to hide you from Instagram. But, but what I really mean out of that is like what you're saying to yourself, what you're saying out loud matters so much. And you really need to like, be proud of yourself. Like I, you know, coaches are so proud of you already. And we're any, anyone who's out here working hard is something to be proud of, whether it's 10 minute pace, eight minute pace, who cares if you love running as much as us and you're in this sport and you're having fun and you're chasing your dreams, that matters. That's important. It doesn't matter what pace it is. That doesn't, you know, basketball players are like, I'm not LeBron James, so I'm not good enough. Like you're, there's many basketball players that are fine not being LeBron James and they're making great careers everyone can't be the best and everyone can't be running these fast times. It doesn't make your journey any different. There's, if you've come from somewhere and gone to somewhere else, that's incredible. Celebrate it. Talk about it. Like be proud of it. And I think all of us runners take time to be proud of those people too. Like, you know, I think sometimes we all get caught up in the big numbers too. And, you know, celebrate everyone, right? Like everyone deserves to be clapped at. Everyone's time is impressive and important that's awesome. Like, you know, there's, there's enough joy to spread around for people in this sport. I do feel as a coach, a lot of what I do is I put context in people's workouts. Cause like you said, I mean, especially in the summer, it's always tough where, you know, the workout or whatever it is. And then some, some garments or some watches will, cause I use final surge to coach will also record temperature data. And so the workout will be able to be, and maybe it's a little bit, you know, slower than the athlete had anticipated. And they'll be like, ah, oh, really struggled on this one. And I'll scroll over and the temperature data is like 98 degrees. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, uh, and then I'll look at the timestamp and they went running at like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, it, full sun, high, you know, high temperature. And I know they live in an area with high humidity. I'm thinking, yeah, I, I, you know, let's remember that this workout was done in exceedingly challenging conditions. And, you know, let's, let's put a little context on this, uh, on this muffin. Um, and, but then it's so hard to turn on to the, to ourselves sometimes too. Like we have all these tools to use as coaches and say like, Hey everybody, you know, objectively, this is what I see. And we have to remember, you should be proud of what you've accomplished. And then I can turn around and do a workout 11 o'clock in the morning and 98 degrees and be like, I didn't hit my, I didn't hit my splits. What does this mean about my fitness? And then pull back and say, Hey, Elizabeth, you know, it's your effort was in the right place. That's all that really matters. And it does get easier the more that you do it. I think that's like, it's it, all of this stuff that we do, all of these skills that we practice are skills that require practice, right? I'm, you know, I'm not, I know Nick isn't saying that like tomorrow you're going to wake up and feel completely free and unencumbered from whatever expectations and numbers that you may have floating around in your head, but more of like, you know, if you've had a workout where there are numbers that upset you, you know, maybe next time consciously decide that you're just not going to look at them or remove a specific number goal from whatever the lexicon of your training is. Like you can take steps towards healing your relationship with the numbers, I guess, that don't obviously require like an overnight change because that's not realistic either. Yeah. You, I've had athletes put tape on their watches and then run something and they're so great. Like they're like, I didn't feel fast today, but boy, did I run fast. And I'm like, you removed barriers, right? Like, you know, I, I tell a lot of people, it feels like my running journey changed 
you know, I got a coach too, which was super helpful, but like I had a, a, a lot of mental health. I went to therapy. I learned a lot about myself. And as I learned about myself, my running got better. And I, I don't think it's just random coincidence. I feel like those journeys are very connected because how hard I was on myself with everything, you know, manifested itself into my running. And I would beat myself up all the time when splits weren't right. I would, you know, devastate myself because I wasn't where I needed to be. My races were full of anxiety and all that stuff makes this thing harder. And so, yes, I think it is important to, to find that balance, to find those ways to cope to this and to find that healthy relationship with, with running that have joy, have fun, pursue your best, but each and every day, all you can ever do is your best. And if you objectively feel like when you finished a workout, you did your best and the numbers don't match up, that's okay. Cause you can't do better than that. Like don't be, you know, then we go down this whole avenue of toughness, right? Like we can't, toughness doesn't mean like, okay, well I, I ran my best, but I should have been better because I wasn't tough enough. Like people use toughness as the example of literally everything they don't succeed at is because they weren't tough enough. You know, I think toughness is working through uncomfortable moments and like, you know, dealing with them, not just being like, okay, well, I have an injury, but I'm going to run through it. Or like, you know, that moment in the race when it hurts, I'll just be tough. Yeah, like we we make this idea of toughness and we use it as this logical thing when it's not. Like, you know, it's it's a crutch. It is something that, you know, we use too often in this sport and in life, right? I think we're all tough. We survived, a pa- still surviving a pandemic, um, you know, worked through some crazy stuff that none of us thought would ever happen. Yeah. I mean, runners are tough. I I get that question a lot too. How do I build my mental toughness? How to become mentally stronger? Um, I mean, first of all, part of it is just like you build mental toughness by going through training, like long runs are hard, right? It's boring being out there for so long and meant building mental toughness is almost about just like fighting through boredom almost more than anything else. Just like sticking with it. Right. I'm still here. I'm still here. Um, but there is no like magic, magic tool that's gonna, you know, unlock the mental toughness for you. Cause I feel like the more, the more that I explore this concept of, and I haven't read Steve Magnus's new book yet, but I have the meaning to, um, to explore this concept of what it means to be mentally tough. It's almost, it's paradoxically like you almost have to believe in yourself and then let it go. Like you can't fight through everything but you can let go and let it happen and like worry less about it and just say, I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. And that I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. Like that's the toughness part for me. Yeah, exactly. I think, and you know, I think the toughness is exactly that, right? How do you, how do you work through the moments? How do you see what happens? How do you, you know, overcome things, but not using like, just, oh, I have to be stronger. I have to like be harder on myself, right? Toughness en- ends up being just another way for us to beat ourselves up. Like that's how we mask it right now. It's- um, Well, because the not- flip side of like, if I'm, the story is, well, if I'm not mentally tough, I must be mentally weak. And yes. then, and then you're calling yourself weak, right? And then if you're, if that's what you're saying to yourself, you're going to start believing that. Yeah, exactly. And, and Steve has a great, chapter I've, I've loved about expectations like right like because you know toughness comes down to like you know this idea of like 
how your expectations versus how something should feel really affects, right? Like how many times you've gone into something and said, this should be easy, and then it felt hard, or gone into something that said, this should be impossible, and then it was, right? Our expectations don't meet our effort. It makes it really hard. If we think something's going to be super easy, we're going to do super easy effort. That's our expectations versus our, you know, what we put out. If we think it's going to be really hard, we probably won't be able to do it. You know, if a coach puts one of those workouts out there, I didn't expect you to hit splits anyway. Yeah, the, the runner probably doesn't have a great time with that workout because, and then feels worse about it when the coach says they didn't think they could hit it, right? So, you know, it's how our expectations meet up with what we're feeling in that moment and how we feel about the effort. And also not like the external validation of like, even like what it, again, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything if you didn't hit the split. Like it doesn't, and that's hard, you know, it doesn't actually mean anything. It's really hard to extrapolate any sort of giant, you know, analysis from a single data point, from a single race or a single workout or a single instance where something felt hard when it was supposed to be moderate or something felt easy when it was supposed to be hard, right? Like you can't read too much into anything. Patterns we might tend to look at, but, you know, one workout was hard, harder than you expected it to be. Like that doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. And, you know, like we talked earlier, but that can help that sometimes causes a runner to spiral. Right. And, you know, that is, that's when it means something because it's causing negative, right. Too, if we run enough good workouts, we don't spiral in the other direction. We, no one ever spirals too positively. We all have our own bias that stops us from, but we'll spiral negatively real fast. You know, one workout, sometimes all it takes, um, you know, but 15 great workouts, you know, we're still doubting ourselves. So, you know, how do we work that that's the stuff, right? How do we take that and build that confidence and work together with coaches and friends to work through those things? I see this too, a lot with marathon training where, you know, runners that I work with are running 16, 18 miles, typically for our longest long run and marathon training. And, you know, some will go to 20 or maybe slightly over, but for a lot of people, you know, our longest long run and marathon training because of time on feet and the context of the training, you're going to be less than 20 miles. And so I get a lot of questions about how does this prepare me? How will I feel prepared? Okay. I ran 15 miles or 16 miles. How am I supposed to run 10 more? I'm freaking out. I don't understand. And I try to explain cumulative fatigue and the fact that we do back to back, you know, long runs and you're pre-fatigue and all this kind of stuff. And then sometimes, you know, I'll ask the athlete, I'll say, tell me the distance you think would make you feel comfortable running before you ran your marathon. What long run would you like, would make you feel comfortable that you would be able to complete 26 miles. And oftentimes the athlete will like stop and think and think, uh, 24 miles. I'm like, okay, well, so you're telling me right now that there's almost no feasible long run we could do. Cause, and I would say, let's say we did do 24 miles you would still have to run two additional miles, right? So uh, going back to what we said earlier about there are no guarantees, like there is no magic lock and key combination in training that all of a sudden you are going to be 110% sure that you can accomplish your goal on race day. You can be reasonably confident. You can be very confident, but you're never going to be 100% confident. And so when you're looking for that magic long run or magic workout, it doesn't exist. Right. So I think a lot, especially as we're heading into fall marathon training season with this episode, and if you're heading into your longest long runs and your longest long runs are shorter than the marathon distance as they should be, 
that's intentional and it's on purpose. And if you think about what would it take for me to feel confident about running X distance in my long run for the marathon, you might be surprised at where your brain ends up and you realize that it's not actually about the distance. It's about your belief in your ability to complete what you're being asked to do. Yes, exactly. That, that is, I've, if I've asked that question, no one's ever said, oh, I need to run a marathon to be confident to run a marathon. You know, it's always like, well, 22 or 24. And, you know, so to your point, exactly. It's, it's about, well, we need to get your confidence that you believe that you can do this last six or four or eight miles because the training is showing you how to do it. Right. And yes, you feel tired right now. That's marathon training. It's a lot of cumulative fatigue, but you know, like we talk about when we peak, things feel a lot better when we cut down on volume and you get ready. This is how the magic happens. But the key to tapering is, well, you have to be that confident that you are realizing if you don't understand the science, that what is happening here gets you towards that goal and help you will feel this is working, right? If you don't believe in it, then yes, you will doubt it, right? And so, you know, I think it's important that if you have a coach or if you have a running group, like share those feelings with them, right? Like, don't just be like, okay, well, coach told me to do this, so I'm going to do it because I'm a good listener. Like, that's not the relationship in a one-on-one coaching environment. It is, how do I help you feel great about running? How do I help you feel confident? And if you don't share, then I can't, I can guess how you're feeling, but I don't know. And it, it's not how it's going to help you reach your goal without having that knowledge to help you get ready for that moment. Don't just feel like you have to follow along in a plan voice, talk about it, have concerns. It's you in the end, it's not my plan. It's not our plan as coaches. It's your plan. We will support you. We will might advise you that something's unhealthy or or maybe dangerous in our mind, but we'll always support you to your goals, right? So communicate because if you're not confident, you will not succeed. I've 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 worked some athletes um you know we talk we go through like I said that onboarding process and there have been a couple ones who in their, um, forms and things have said, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And like, that's not the point of the coaching. Like you said, that's not the point of the coaching relationship. Like anybody can tell you what to do. Like, if you just want to be told what to do, go buy a book. (laughs) Right. Um, but it's not about being told exactly what to do or exactly what to run. It's about learning how things feel when they feel right, when they feel wrong, how you feel about those things emotionally, and then commuting, communicating that back to your coach so that your training can be really personalized to you. Um, Cause it, as much as we like to say, you get out of running what you put in, that's only like half the story. Cause you can sometimes put a whole lot in and not get as much out as you, again, that word expected to, but that doesn't mean that what you've done wasn't worth it. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the fitness takes time and, and sometimes it's building and building and building towards those bigger goals. It, it will come like, you know, if you keep putting in the work, you'll get, as long as you also back that up with the mental belief, right? The other half of running or 90% of running, depending how math lines up. But like, you know, if you have that other side that believes what you're doing is right and you're doing the work, like it will come. Sometimes you have a bad race. Sometimes the weather doesn't cooperate. 
and sometimes, you know, just running consistently around your goal time is also perfect. If, these, if your PR is this and you run around your PR, but you just don't PR, still a fabulous race. Being two seconds off your PR, eight seconds off your PR in a marathon isn't a lose. Like, that's fabulous. You, you ran eight seconds slower than you ever run before. We should celebrate that, not look at it as like, well, I didn't PR. Like, so often it's, I didn't, you know, I didn't hit my best ever time. Okay. How many times do we expect to hit our best ever time? Every time we race, that we're setting ourselves up for failure, for unachievable goals. I love telling this story about Kira D'Amato because her running career just seems to lend itself to so many unbelievable stories and lessons. But when she set the American women's marathon record in January, was it? And she ran like a three, uh, three, no, two, a 219 and change marathon. And then she ran in the world championships, um, this summer and she ran a two twenty-five marathon. Do you think that she is in a devastation spiral about not PRing every single time that she runs a marathon that she ran six minutes off her PR? Absolutely not. Right. There are many ways to run a race that you are proud of and you're good at. And if you just happen to not have PR'd in that race, doesn't really mean much, right? Assuming you also had a race that you felt confident in. And so like that, I, I tell that story to illustrate the fact that when we talk about elite runners, there, there are some things we can learn from them. There are many things that really just, they are a slightly different category of runner than those of us who just do this for, for fun. Um, but to explain kind of the expectations that a lot of elite runners have an understanding that what they know about their fitness and who they are as athletes is that it's not always about hitting a PR or the numbers that define you, right? So whether it's Kira D'Amato running a 219 and then a 225 or Sarah Hall going after the American women's record over and over and over and over again, she is no less confident in herself, even though she hasn't reached it yet. And she just keeps on trying, right? So it's, it is when it comes down to it, the numbers are only part of the story. It has to do with how you feel about who you are as a runner and the belief you have in yourself about, you know, enjoying the process and just, you know, being along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. And you know, that's, that comes in goal setting that comes in expectations. How do you set yourself up for success? Well, you set up expectations and goals that can get you to success. Again, if your only goal is a PR and that's the only thing that will bring you meaning. Yeah. You, if you get it, wow, we did it. That's great. But eventually you will not. So how do you set those expectations and goals to be proud of yourself when you finish your training block? And it doesn't mean we don't chase PRs. That That's in the end, it's why we run, right? Like we love this thing, but we do want to run faster. But if that is the only thing you have that brings you happiness, then you will be sad. How do you celebrate the journey? How do you celebrate the process? How do you, you know, be proud of yourself for the work you've done, even if it doesn't equate to a new fancy number on some road in some random street, you know, that's, that's how we make this fun. And that's how we stay in the game longer, right? Some of these pros are running 25 years and have run probably a PR. Someone has the numbers. Someone's done the math. 10% of the time, probably pros, maybe 5% of the time they've run a race, they run a PR, and 95% of the time they haven't. Like, And they're still in this sport for 20 years because they're finding some way to keep going that isn't, I have to run a PR every time. 
And I think we probably don't see some of the runners who are so wrapped up in the specific numbers that they don't have longevity in the sport. And I don't know about you. I probably do know you and I share the same goals of like, I want to be running forever. Like I know one day I will have hit my peak and yes, I will be getting slower, hopefully a couple decades from now. But like, you know, is to say, let's say when you do hit your age peak and inevitably time does slow you down, are you going to just stop running because you're not going to keep getting faster? Like, no, you run because you're a runner and you enjoy doing it, not because the only joy that you derive from it is what the numbers are. But I want to run forever. Like, I want to be the 101-year-old woman setting the age record, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, that's my goal is just to run for as long as I can. And to take that really, really long-term view, it really puts everything into perspective. Yeah, and, and you know, I think I mentioned earlier, I've said this before, it, running, I started running as a you know high school runner wanting to get faster, but running became a community for me, right? Like it became my friends, it became the people I hang out with. When I moved to Maryland many years ago, even I met runners, right? And 10 years later, 12 years later, now my I'm friends with runners, my wife's friends with the runners, their, their significant others are friends with each other, our kids now know each other and hang out. Like this running community has brought me so much joy that yes, I love to chase my best. I love to go out and work hard, but it's so much more to this sport if you let it. There's, there's a community, there's fun, there's excitement. Look at all these races that people are at and how much fun people are having together. And, you know, don't get lost in the, it's only fun if I PR. You, you'll lose half this sport. You'll lose half of the fun of being in this community. I 100% agree with that. Nick, thank you so much for being here today. I've really, I mean, you and I have a lot of really like deep and philosophical chats uh, offline, but it's nice if you can kind of bring this out into the crowd and talk about this because, you know, part of the kind of impetus for having this conversation is that I feel like as a coach, it's so frustrating to see people live and die by the numbers and to like, you know, I don't have the time to like counsel every single runner I see that's, you know, having, having this hard time, you know, except for the ones that I work with personally, but maybe we can help some people realize what is the relationship they have with what they're trying to do and what it means for them. And that, you know, maybe put a little bit of context into the relationship they might have with the metrics. Yeah. And that's, I try and share my journey. I try and share a lot of my feelings when I, my relationship with social media is, is on the up and up. Sometimes I need a break like anyone, but you know, I sharing your sharing my process and how I feel, how I work through things, I think is important. I think people need to hear, Hey, I took a break, you know, for two, you know, week and a half, two weeks. I needed it. Right. Like, and I, it, it didn't, didn't crash and burn, didn't get there, but I just said, Hey, I needed this and I took it and then realized in the moment, Hey, I need this more. And I thought, right. Like, so being okay, taking breaks, being okay, you know, sharing the vulnerabilities of yourself as much as you want to, right? Because you, you don't have to share your vulnerabilities, but, you know, as coaches, I think it's important to show that like, we go through the same stuff, you know, fast runners, slow runners, they all have the same demons, right? The fastest runners in the world still probably feel like they're not good enough, still have confidence issues. They still, that's where they're struggling in races. That's what they're working through. Just like any of us to just happen to be running a pace that makes no sense to us. Um, you know, so, <laughs> um, you know, just that's why this stuff matters. And that's why removing some of those things helps you have this healthier relationship with the sport. And I, and I love talking about this stuff. I think it's so much more interesting than, you know, okay, here's my workouts and here's my paces and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm like, we can measure lactate and do this, that, the other, but like, 
how did it feel? You know, how did you feel when you did it? That's always what's interesting to me. And speaking of um, elites, and so um, Emma Bates, who ran uh, also in the uh, World Athletic Championships Marathon, she did an amazing multi-part race recap of the marathon on Instagram. It's like 11 or 12 different posts. And if you go back and read it, she ran a two-something, 220-something, 222 or 223 marathon. Um, and you th- again, like a pace, you're like, oh my God, it's unfathomable that I could run that pace for me, like uh, even a 5K. And she ran a marathon at this pace. But if you go back and read her recap of how the race went, it reads like anybody else's recap of a marathon at any pace that they run. The highs, the lows, the struggle, the dark points, the cheering of the crowd, the, oh my God, you know, it's just all runners are the same. We just might happen to run at different paces sometimes. Yeah, we have different genetics, right? So yeah. some are just have an ability to do things that others can't and, you know, that's okay. You do the best with what you got. That's all we're here for is to just be the best we personally can be. Yes. Nick, thank you for being here. Um, and obviously you are a coach and you are with Lift, Run, Perform, which is a wonderful coaching outfit. I want to call it like a boutique coaching outfit. Um, tell us more about how people can find and follow you. And if they want to read more about you, you do share some really amazing just insights um, about yourself and about just coaching and, and being a runner in general, but how can people connect with you? Well, thank you. Um, I, I'm at nclastava on Instagram. Uh, I don't tweet much. I just consume. Um, liftrunperform.com is where you can find information about Lift Run Perform, you know, and you know, anything on Instagram, Instagram is probably the place I do the most. I don't TikTok too much. I just watch. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's probably the best place. Instagram is a great spot to hit me up and talk to me. So we can find all of us old millennials <laughs> <laughs> on Instagram, not on TikTok. <laughs> Nick, thank you. It's always good to chat. Yeah. Thank you. And congrats on all your success and this amazing podcast and your coaching business growing and all the wonderful things for you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.